Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the college football that is opening up week one. We'll be touching on the NFL that is roaring into their regular season week one. We will check in on FIBA and Team USA, and then we will have Jack's Hot Take. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications for Justin Time Sports social media on all your favorite social medias. That is X, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok. Uh, don't forget to uh, follow and turn on the post notifications there. And the handle in all those social medias is at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. Now, as always, sit back and get ready to learn something. Excited to be guys be back with you guys as it has been a couple of weeks. I am so excited to be back with you all as we have I've not talked to you guys in a while. Um to all my fans, I say hello to you. Uh, of course, you know, I just shout out my European and Asian friends. Um, so shout out to you guys as well. Um, but we are going to jump right into the news of the day. My fairly instantaneous reaction to the arrival of prime time in college football. Prime time has arrived in FBS. Um, it is now officially prime time in the Power Five, um, and the Big 12s on notice. The Pac 12s on notice. That game was so amazing. Um, and as you guys know, if you guys listen to the podcast, you guys know I coach high school football. We had our opening game didn't go well. <laughs> We were uh, pretty outmatched there in our opening game, but we'll shake back next week. Don't worry. Um, but if you guys know, so I was, you know, I coach high school football, and I was talking to one of the fellow coaches of mine, and we were saying like, man, the hype around Dion's first game in Colorado is ridiculous because when he got to Jackson State, it was the attention on Jackson State because okay, they're. He's talking about what needs to be fixed in HBCUs. He's talking about what needs to be done in this. He's discussing how they won't just take, well, you know, he calls them body bag games where um, he's got outmatched guys going to these power five schools just to earn a little money. He's trying to get names on the back of the jerseys. He's trying to bring attention to and all this other stuff. It was so much of a movement. And he spoke so much that people were forced to watch. Oh, his son is starting quarterback. Oh, his son is starting safety. Oh, his son runs social media. You know what I'm saying? It was so much attention brought by Dion when he arrived, or as he called himself Coach Prime, and who wants to call him that Coach Prime, arrived at Jackson State because coverage had never been done like that at the HBCU, at HBCU level. Attention had never been brought like that to the HBCU level. TV cameras, money, financial opportunity, etc. had never been brought like that to, to the HBCU level. And so when he arrived, People admittedly wanted him to succeed because they knew the more he succeeded at J State, 
the more that people are going to watch, pay attention, and care about HBCUs. Ultimately, that was proven correct. Um, his three years there, he had a great first year. I think they won, lost two of maybe three games. And then he undefeated back-to-back years. Runs through the swag. Does never collect the Black College Football Championship. And I think that's going to be something on his resume he would want back. Um, he never collected a black... <coughs> excuse me. He never collected a Black College Football Championship because... Um, the award's not a poll award. So it used to be a poll award um, where they would come to vote. Uh, Southern won it 2003. Samuel LSU won that championship game. It was amazing at Baton Rouge because of those two events. But it's a poll. It used to be a poll award. Well, now with the um, Celebration Bowl, the MEAC and the SWAC are the two dominant HBCU conferences. So their champions play in the Celebration Bowl. The winners declared the black college football champion. Um... And he came up short back-to-back years in the Celebration Bowl. And then ultimately, he leaves to go to Colorado. When he makes the move to Colorado, as you guys know, there was a lot of people who wanted him to fail. Everybody, it felt like, connected to HBCU, doubted it. Everybody could, who wanted to see him, now to get the opportunity, thought he maybe jumped the line on some people, wanted him to fail. A lot of people wanted him to fail. Then the way he did his roster. You know, we chronicled it. He and they spoke about it on the on the on the game a couple times. Deion Sanders has sixty nine new scholarship players in Colorado. Sixty nine, by far and away, the most in the country. Um, he did it in a way that was previously inconceivable because the one time, I mean, five years ago, the rule was impossible because of the one time transfer rule doesn't exist. And also the way the transfer portal is today, it doesn't exist. And he, this would have been a much longer rebuild at Jackson State and at Colorado. Because at Jackson State, he didn't overhaul the roster like this. But he did a roster overhaul and filled in a lot of the gaps with transfers. Um, and so when he went to Colorado, he did a full roster overhaul. He saw the advantage he had in uh, facilities. He saw the upgrade he had in um, financial ability. He, he saw the upgrade in the fact that it's a little easier to convince, you know, an FBS transfer to, to transfer to the FBS. And, of course, he took his dogs from Jackson State, Travis Hunter. My guy, we're going to speak on him a little later. Um, what a player. He took his son, of course, Shadua Sanders, um, Shiloh Sanders, as uh, Dwayne Washington. Was all the guys that made a lot of plays. Most of the guys that made a lot of plays for Colorado tonight were Deion's kids at J-State. Um, and... And he said it was an amazing experience. But we were, uh, back to what I'm saying, I was talking to a fellow coach of mine, and uh, he was saying, man, coach, the excitement around this game, the Fox Sports app had a countdown to kickoff. Um, and I was telling him, I'm like, I was born and raised an LSU fan. Anybody that knows me knows I was born and raised an LSU fan. I got my master's degree from LSU, ultimately. I'm a Tiger for life. Um, and not just a fan, I'm an alumni and I was way more excited to see Dion's first game, Coach Prime's first game in Colorado, than I am for tomorrow night's contest with LSU and Florida State. I mean, way more. Like, and then I'm, I'm watching the Battle of the Carolinas now, and, I'm, and they're showing LSU, Florida State, 6.30 or 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, uh, Sunday ABC. I was way more excited um, for... The Colorado game. I mean, just excitement level through the roof um, for the Colorado game. 
I mean, I'm watching it. We're, you know, we're doing different stuff. And I'm watching the, I'm watching the Colorado game. I'm driving. We're taking care of our laundry stuff. I'm watching the Colorado game. I'm at the laundry facility taking care of our jerseys and stuff. I'm watching the Colorado game. Like, I end up at a baby shower. I'm a complete total person, though. And I finish watching the Colorado game. That is the level of excitement that Dion has, not only for him, for himself, um, but for his 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 um ah the brand cramp his school you know I and mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous the level of hype he has um around Colorado and Colorado was a one win team last year and they got destroyed by TCU last year. TCU had a slow first half, but TCU, TCU ultimately ran away with the game. Colorado was 20 and a half point underdogs. Um, it was an absolute, it was a game they had no business winning. And, I mean, I'm just going to read what I posted on Facebook. Behind 38 completions and 510 yards, school record, and four touchdowns from QB Shadour Sanders. Four receivers went over 100 yards. Dylan Edwards, the running back, had four touchdowns. Travis Hunter was on the field for 110. Anywhere from 110, I've seen two different numbers, right? But anywhere from 110 to 129 snaps um, tonight at both cornerback and uh, wide receiver. And then they had a huge fourth down stop on defense to win the game. Deion Primetime Sanders wins his first game in Colorado, upsetting TCU 45-42 in Texas. Um, absolutely insane game. Shador Sanders is an NFL quarterback. And many people, I'm glad for him personally, he was able to make this move because many people were going to discredit him as, a, as an NFL quarterback um, due to the fact that he came from J-State. Um, and then it was always kind of always the knock on him. Well, the FCS quarterbacks lately haven't been doing very well. If he plays against bigger opponents, he's going to struggle. Yeah, he, he struggled so much that in his first game, he broke the school record for passing yards with 510. Last year, Colorado had two games where they had a player go over 100 yards receiving. Shadu in that offense put up four receivers with 100 yards receiving in the same game. Uh, Dylan Edwards is a, is a running back. He um, came from J-State as well. Absolutely elite speed. He scored four touchdowns. I'm looking at the bottom of the screen now on the Battle of the Carolinas. Um, it said uh, turned over roster with 86 new players. 69 of them are on scholarship. Um, the, one def- the one defensive starter he kept, pick six. I mean, he got not a pick six. He caught a pick in the end zone. Um, to stop a touchdown. I mean, if he misses the pick, that's a that's a post route touchdown. And you know, it's just absolutely a great, great moment for Colorado. Great moment for Deion Sanders. So many things are interesting in the situation. You have Deion Sanders, of course, Coach Prime coming up in the FCBS. He brings in his Louie, as he says it. Travis Hunter is a legitimate Heisman candidate. We have not seen a receiver or a corner be a legitimate Heisman candidate in a very long time. 
he has a legitimate shot to win the Heisman. He played, like I said, 100, just called it 110. 110 snaps tonight um, at corner and receiver. He had 111 yards receiving, eight or nine catches. He scored, I believe, as a receiver. He caught an interception. Like, what he's daring to do is something that he didn't even do at J-State, um, which is pull double duty. So, what it reminds me of is that when Derek Stingley was coming out um, of Dunham High School in the Batteries area, he was going to LSU. He wanted to pull double duty. Um, but Dad Ogeron's head, he promises that he's only going to play corner when he gets here originally. Now, he ends up being the best corner in the country and never played receiver. But Travis Hunter has a case legitimately um, to be the best corner in the country. And he's an absolute man at receiver. He's People forget because he ends up going to, um, that's wild, Colorado ended their 27-game road losing streak to a top 20 team um, in this game. But people forget that when Travis Hunter was coming out, he's the highest rated recruit ever. If you divide him between cornerback and receiver, he's a top five corner. He's a top five receiver ever coming out of high school. And he's the same person. Um, and so he's just a ridiculous talent. Like I said, the amount of minutes, I mean, he was willing to play, the amount of snaps he was willing to play. And then after the game, saying he's not tired. He wish he can go back out there. I mean, absolutely absolutely tremendous moment in college football um and now they get to go into a game they get to host their first game i'm sure the crowd's going to be absolutely raucous um they get to host their first game against matt rule in nebraska um who struggled in their opener um probably still should have won the game but ultimately didn't um so matt rule lost his opener and now he gets to run into the bus saw known as carolina so that was Colorado, I'm sorry. So that'll be very interesting there. Uh, Georgia let the touch slow in this game. I didn't really see anything. I mean, it's so hard to get a read on the top schools because they're playing fairly cupcake schedules early unless they're already in conference play. You know, the, and most of the top schools, I should say, most of them. Now, again, you got South Carolina schedule, North Carolina. Um, you have LSU and Florida State. Um, you have your Colorado TCUs, even though TCU probably booked the game as a pretty easy game, but they, they at least agreed to go home and home. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to get a read on those guys, but Georgia just didn't look like their usual Georgia, um, which new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, the last of that depth is um, the last of that monster recruiting the, that we've seen with the Philadelphia Eagles drafting all the defenses. They're pretty much running out. Now it's newer players on the field. Um, and so that is definitely uh, something that that is definitely something that we are um, observing that I've observed with Georgia is the fact that um, they just look a little slow right now. But I'm sure they're going to get that fixed. Florida looks bad. There's no other way I can describe it. Florida looks awful. Um, at one point, they had a penalty against Utah, who didn't have Cam Rising, their starting quarterback and their legend. Um, they had a penalty against Utah with two players weighing the same number, which gave um, Utah a first down, which then led to a Utah touchdown. So they just look unorganized. They just look bad. I mean, nothing about it stood out to me um, with the way Florida played. 
definitely not going to be a team that's going to make a lot of noise this year. I mean, there's people saying if they go 7-5, it's a victory. If they go 6-6, six six, it's a victory. Um, and Matt Rule has a $30 million buyout after the season. So he's not going, not Matt Rule, Billy Napier has a $30 million buyout after this season. So he's not going anywhere. More than likely, even if you do it next season, it's $24 million. Uh, maybe they cobble that together. But, I mean, absolutely insane how poor Florida looked. Um, but, I mean, cobbling $30 million together is not that difficult with some of these boosters. Um, because, remember, Deion Sanders signed a $26 million contract with Colorado with the um, AD saying, Rick George, we don't have the money for it yet. Private donations donated $28 million. Um, and then they sold pretty much all the season tickets. So they sold all the season tickets. Had to sell extra season tickets. Um, and so private donations to get a coach out is one thing. Um, I just don't know how the school would look accepting that sort of cash um, to just fire a football coach. So maybe Billy Napier survives another couple of years purely because of the buyout so large. Um, but... Yeah, Florida team looked rough. Um, and then USC looks explosive. USC looks incredibly explosive. They've got talent everywhere. Caleb Williams looks like he's running away and hide the number one pick and the best quarterback in the draft. Um, they've got weapons everywhere, young and old. They've got transfers in. Um, I mean, it's just an absolutely great environment um, that USC's in right now. They've got confidence. They're looking to put their imprint on everybody in every game they play, and they're looking to make a show and to make a name for themselves. Um, and so, very excited to continue to watch USC's offensive development as I think they put up 60 balls in their Week 0 game and their Week 1 game. But up next, I am going to shift into the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. the shield the nfl is back it opens up with lions at chiefs for banner night uh, basically <clears throat> lions at chiefs excuse me banner night uh with the chiefs hosting an arrowhead stadium uh welcome back nfl we've missed you the preseason just doesn't do it yeah we got to see Aaron Rodgers in a just jersey throw a beautiful pass sure we got to see the chiefs um start some people sure um we got to see, um, we got to see, you know, some starters play short, but it's not the same as when the game matters, because in the end, in the end, um, it's not football. I guess football, but it's not football, if that makes sense. Um, you know, defenses are super vanilla, they're running two high shells all night, nothing cheap, nothing deep. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of boring. You know, if you're a real football fan like myself, it gets kind of boring. Uh, I don't want to just see basic defenses 
and then offense is having a field day with them because there's literally no pressure. And, you know, you're watching the seventh string receiver tricking yourself into thinking he's going to be a superstar. That's literally the benefit of the preseason. You're tricking yourself into thinking this seventh string receiver is going to be a dynamite. He's not going to be a dynamite. We all know it. Um, But that's kind of the benefit of the preseason, right? And so now that we're coming out of the preseason, like I said, Lions and Chiefs is the first uh, real game of the season. Um, You just can't beat that. You got Jared Goff and the Lions who have a lot of expectations all of a sudden. They sold out their season tickets for the first time in the Ford Field era. Um, So they have a lot of expectations, a lot of people wanting them to be successful. A lot of people in Detroit hoping their success can kind of stir something up in the city, um, which is a pressure that most people don't get. You know, like Detroit's a literal dying city. Um, You know, people talk about it like there's parts of Detroit that's like a ghost town. There's no people. There's no active businesses. There's no cars moving. Like it's a literal ghost town. There's just nothing there. It's just empty blocks of space. Is there where there's nothing happening? There's no movement. There's no vitalization. There's it looks like somebody stopped improving it in 1990 and just left it there to rot. Um, and so having a great Lions team, who knows what that could be business wise? Um, maybe those blocks get revitalized. Maybe the city kind of stands on itself, puts some pride up, and figures it out. Who knows? But the Lions, like I said, sold out the season tickets for the first time on the Ford for the era. They have expectations for the first time in my life. I don't recall the Detroit Lions having expectations since prime Calvin Johnson and prime uh, Matt Stafford. That time with Matt Stafford throwing for 5,000 yards, like maybe that time period. But even then, people say that's the Lions. They don't have a defense. Like, they have a defense. They have a head coach they believe in. They've got a quarterback they like. They've got weaponry. Like, this is, again, they have expectations. And now, for the first time in 25 years, the Packers don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, you know, the Bears aren't put together yet. Um, who else in the North? Uh, the Vikings are good. Now, the Vikings are a good football team, but people have their thing about Kirk Cousins. I personally think Kirk Cousins is the top 10 quarterback in the league. Um, but people have their gripes with Kirk Cousins. So, the, the Lions fans are looking at We can win this division, you know. We can make the playoffs. We can host the playoff game. Uh, we can make it, maybe make a little baby and run in the playoffs. So uh, that's going on in Detroit. Like I said, the Kansas City, Kansas City. Um, they seem like they just figure it out every time. But like I said, football is basically back. So as you guys know, I pick every game in the regular season. I picked that a few weeks back. I feel confident in my picks, so I'm not going to change anything. Um, but I will do a fresh list of awards. Um, so MVP, I believe, is going to go to Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. I just think he's due for one, and then I struggle between him and Josh Allen. Um, but I just think Burrow's due for one. I think they're going to have a big year this year. They're going to win 12, 13 games. Um, and then he's going to, I mean, they're going to be win 11, 12 games, and then he's going to be the MVP. I just think it's time. I think he's due. Um, and oddly, they don't have his contract done, which feels... Um, odd. Yes, I, I mean they're openly talking about it's gonna get done, but this is weird. The fact that the Bengals don't have his contract put together yet. Now we have learned from Jamarcus Russell that teams will tell you don't sign a contract due to escrow, like we physically don't have the money to put in the escrow account. Um, 
And if that's the case, that's a different story. I mean, obviously they can't come out and say that because the NFL puts an investigation onto why an owner in the NFL doesn't have $200 million cash, which is wild to even say. Um, but why an owner doesn't have $200 million cash. But, I mean, Joe Burrow did say he wanted to get his money, get his value, and basically try to leave some pie for other people. Um, try and do their best to keep all three of his receivers. You know, he's trying to try to keep, trying to have the opportunity to keep some of his key players because he means he's gotten used to having Chase Higgins and Bob, the other one Boyd, I think is another known name. Like he's used to having those guys around, and so losing those guys, he know could be an issue. Um, and so he maybe that could be an issue that they're trying to structure right, whether Cincinnati can still have flexibility and they can keep um, as many of their weapons as possible. So that could be the issue. It's just weird that they don't have a contract for my MVP this season. Um, Offensive Player of the Year, Tyreek Hill of the wide receiver Miami Dolphins. This one's pretty contingent on Tua. Um, if Tua was healthy, I believe Tyreek Hill may break the 2,000 yard mark. If he breaks 2,000 yards receiving um, and the Dolphins are, you know, a 10, 11, 12 win team, it's going to be hard for them to resist uh, giving him the Offensive Player of the Year. The defensive player of the year is going to be Miles Garrett. Um, I just think that it's weird that he's not one of those guys that doesn't have a DPOI. You know, it's kind of like um, you look up and be like, man, oh, this guy doesn't have this award. Like LeBron doesn't have a defensive player of the year in basketball. This is odd for how great of a defender he was for so long. Um, and it's just odd that Miles Garrett, you know, isn't a dominant defensive player of the year candidate every single year. I think he gets one this year. Uh, Officer Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go with Houston Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud. He's my favorite quarterback in the draft. Um, he's the guy that I root for heavily in the draft. I'm going to cheer him on every step of his way um, in his NFL journey. Uh, but C.J. Stroud, I think, is going to be a the Offensive Rookie of the Year. And the Defense Rookie of the Year could be biased. Could be just fanfare. I don't know. I don't care. Um... Is Christian Gonzalez, cornerback of the New England Patriots. I just think he's a really tall, physical corner. Uh, has the top, has a top ten raw athletic score in NFL combat history. And he's going to a situation where he's learning defenses and defensive back play from Bill Belichick, who there's literally nobody else probably better to learn it from than Bill Belichick. Um, and so I just think he's going to end up being a defensive rookie of the year. So there's been a little situations going on in the NFL. We're going to touch on some of the big ones here quickly. Um, so for number one, the Buffalo Bills are dealing with a lot of drama right now. Um, there's that weird Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen relationship thing that they're all trying to tell us is fine. And, well, we have eyes, so we can tell that it's not fine. Um, there's all kind of vibes and bad vibes and good vibes and sideways vibes and a little bit over there of uh, vibes. And it's just all kind of stuff happening. Um, with the Buffalo Bills. Um, no idea when they're getting Von Miller back. I don't think their championship window is closed. It's been a popular question um, the past couple of days. Are the Bills' championship window closed? I don't think it's closed. I don't think it's closed because you have a good coach who's kind of, he's not entrenched, but he's getting very close to entrenched. And then you have a good coaching staff. Um, and so... You kind of, you can hit, you got an entrenched quarterback. You got to know and receive. Like, it's nowhere near time to hit the panic button yet. 
um, if you're a buffalo. However, you have to get that stuff taken care of before it festers and infects the rest of the team. Um, the Cleveland Browns are going into year two of the Deshaun Watson experiment, although really and truly it's year one. Um, year two, okay, it was year, it's year, it was year one in the sense of literally Deshaun Watson got there year one, and so this is year two because it's his second year, but to me that was year one. Kind of like how I treat Trevor Lawrence's rookie years. It just didn't exist because it was under Urban Meyer. Um, I'm kind of going to treat um, Deshaun Watson this year one as a redshirt year. As, you know, a year where you knew that nothing was going to come of it. Because he was going to be suspended for those games. And so you kind of anticipated that nothing was going to come out of it. However, now he's clear. Um... Before Mahomes, I would have said he was the most talented player I've ever seen in a quarterback position in terms of the ability to run and the ability to be an elite pocket passer. Most people, if you're an elite pocket passer, you can run, but you just don't want to. And if you're an elite athlete at the quarterback position, you can throw, but it's not what you call an elite pocket passer. He was a kid that could do both and took full advantage of that ability. Um, so kudos to Deshaun Watson. But I said now... We have to figure out what they're going to do this year. I think they're going to be a very solid team. I think having that full offseason is really going to get Watson in tune with the receivers. They're going to get Watson in tune with the head coach. And certain stuff's being called. Are we anticipating um, this, that, and the third? So it's going to be incredibly helpful uh, to Deshaun uh, to Deshaun Watson this year. I believe he'll be a big help to the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, he'll continue to collect checks from the Browns that no one else is going to write. All right. And then, of course, there's everyone's favorite team, the Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, they've been on hard knocks. I haven't watched one second of it. I heard it's boring. Uh, but but they've been on hard knocks. Um, kind of people are falling in love with some of their players. But they've put a lot of expectation on themselves. Um, and if you think about, you know, kind of commonly phrases like, um, don't put any pressure on me more than I can handle, like, North Carolina, I'm sorry. The Jets have put a lot of time watching the Carolina game. The Jets have put a lot of pressure on themselves to win uh, this year. And I just win some games, win a Super Bowl. Uh, anything shorter than an AF championship game is going to be looking at an abject failure um, by pretty much anyone who's catches the program, which makes life difficult because if you set a level of expectations that the team can't reach, it could be the most successful year you had in, in the program or in the franchise in 20, 25 years. But because you promised them this and didn't deliver it, they're disappointed. Um, and so, yeah. No, okay, so Travis Hunter played 129 snaps. Sheesh. Um, but, you know, just you have your best season in a quarter century as a franchise. And the fans are disappointed because you promised them it's Lindsay. Um The Jets have invited scrutiny at a level I've never seen a team openly invite scrutiny this early. Like, if a team gets scrutinized, they may say, okay, well, we hear it, we understand it, we're just going to keep moving, woo-doo-doo-doo. They have been openly, um, and I do mean openly, inviting pressure. It's just, it's the land of the expensive misfit toys at this point. Um, and so... I still think they're going to finish last in the division. I mean, unless Tua gets hurt, they're going to be second to last. But I don't think they're going to get uh, within a couple of games of 
um, the Bills and the Patriots. So that is definitely something to look uh, forward to with the Jets trying to figure this thing out. But up next, we're going to shift to FIBA and talk about what's going down with Team USA. jump into FIBA World Cup. Just a quick discussion about what's going on there. As the Americans are still undefeated. Um, of course, I expect the Americans to win this tournament. Um, it's kind of one of those U.S. versus the world things. And people talk about, oh, America, you know, the, the Europeans are catching up. The foreigners are catching up. You know, if you look at the NBA, the top three or four players are foreign. It's Embiid, it's Jokic, it's Luka. Um, I think LeBron, Steph, and KD answer for the American side. But then if you go further down the list, it's a lot of foreign players in there as well. But when you divide all the countries out, and it's the U.S. versus the rest of the countries, the U.S. dominates almost religiously. And the funny part about the World Cup is this isn't even our 18. Like Anthony Davis may end up on the Olympic team. Anthony Davis. Anthony Edwards may end up on the Olympic team next year. Right? Um... He's made up on the Olympic team this year, right? So he's a guy. Brandon Ingram's struggling in international play, and I think it's I think it's just the style of play that they have him doing. Uh, Austin Reeves not an Olympian. Tyrese Halliburton could be an Olympian, uh, especially because the the American guards are getting kind of older. Stuff it's Dame, you know. I don't know how many Olympic clay. I don't know many more. I don't know if they're gonna run more, one more Olympics or not. Um, but. You know, this is our B team. Our world championship team is always our second-rate guys. Um, with second-rate guys in America, still all-stars, still all-NBA guys, just not our top players um, most of the time. Now, like Josh Hart is not an Olympian. You know, Jalen Brunson is not an Olympian. Jaron Jackson Jr. could be an Olympian. Um, so, you know, that's there's some guys who can make both teams. Um, can I remember, you know, 2006, after the LeBron's era, a lot of the Olympic team went to the World Championships. Um, and then a lot of the World Championships team ended up in the Olympic team whenever they uh, redid it for the Redeem team in 08. Um, and so a lot of that, that uh, World Championship team in 06 ended up being on the 08 Olympic team as well. Um, much closer to their prime. LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and crew, much closer to their prime than they were in 2006. Um, but anyway, so the FIBA competition has been very interesting. Anthony Edwards has shown that he's probably the best player on the team. Um, I know a lot of Pelicans fans were trying to say with Brandon Ingram, but he's struggling in his international style of play. Um, he's struggling in his role. The one game where he was able to really have the ball with that second unit, he had his best game, 15 minutes, 7 points, 5 assists. Uh, really looked a lot more comfortable uh, juxtaposed to him being basically spot-up shooter for the um, starting lineup, and it's just bothering him especially with the ball he's not used to having. Um, you know, you see America's free throw percentage is way down from there where they are in the NBA, and that's because the ball's a little different. You can dunk it just as well. Pretty much shooting a three, you can adjust. But your free throw is such a I do it every time kind of thing to where now no longer you can't really affect your routine that much. 
in order to take something off the ball, in order for it to, you know, roll into the rim. Uh, so very interesting what's going on with the Americans there. We used to have to adjust to a lot of FIBA play. It used to be that way more physical. They're doing moves they're doing America. The lane was funky. You could slap the ball off the rim, you know, and the ball was different. Now, it's down to at least the ball's different. They're, they're a little less physical because more of them are playing American style basketball, but let's say they're more physical. And on top of that, uh, we've seen all their moves, and we're doing moves they've never seen before. Um, because the world's gotten smaller, thanks to technology and a lot of international players coming over, um, they're like, yes, the Euro step was like unheard of 20 years ago. Um, and then Mauro Ginobili was doing it to people on the FIBA side, and it kind of made its way over to the NBA. And, and now the Euro step is one of, if not the most popular move besides the basic crossover in basketball because every little kid comes up to adults and Euro steps around them. Um, and so it's just an absolute spectacular movement that the USA no longer has to adjust so much because FIBA has began to contort a lot of their rules and regulations to fit the American game. For instance, the lane is the standard lane you see now instead of the big trapezoid. Um, I still want uh, the NBA to um, adopt the goaltending rule of FIBA where um, you want to test the arms, it's fair game for everybody. Um, now, the, the American the NBA did adopt the intentional foul rule, which I think was a great addition to the rule book, uh, trying to get more fast break opportunities, more of those highlight real plays. And plus, if you take a you know foul in the backcourt, just intentionally foul, to me that's a showcase that you can't or won't play defense, in which case it shouldn't bail you off a bad defense. Um, and so I am pretty excited with the fact that that's in um, – that is in the rule book. But the USA has looked great. Like I say, Anthony Edwards has looked spectacular. Paolo Bancaro is really putting on a show here. Um, Jalen Brunson and um, they're putting on a show here. Tyrese Halliburton and Austin Reeves are doing really, really well. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is doing better than his stats would suggest. Um, he, I think he's being robbed of a couple of blocks and a couple of ultra shots he just didn't get credit for. So I think he's actually playing better than his stats would suggest, but he's playing really, really well as also. Um, and so keep it up, Team USA. Uh, rooting for you on this side, and we are hoping that they get um, their gold medal uh, undefeated. I believe they're going to win their gold medal either way, but let's hope they get their gold medal undefeated. Now we're going to jump into Jets uh, to Jack's hot take is going to be on college football. Jack's hot take, which is going to be my Heisman winner. I believe it will be Jaden Daniels of LSU. Uh, the returning quarterback is entering his last year at LSU after transferring in from Arizona State. That cesspool, that mess, that disaster of a program Herman was running. Um, 
And I think that Jaden Daniels is going to lead the LSU Tigers to an 11-win season. If he can execute that the way I think he will, then he will win the Heisman Trophy. Now, of course, of course, a lot of people right now are on the Shador Sanders train, rightfully so, 510 yards and four touchdowns. It's hard to... Um, it's hard to ignore. Travis Turner played 129 snaps in a college football game, had over 100 yards receiving, two pass breakups, and one caught interception. It's kind of hard to ignore that. Uh, Caleb Williams is absolutely rolling right now at USC. It's hard to ignore that. J.J. McCarthy had a great opening game in Keith Carolina. It's hard to ignore that. Um, but at the same time, I just think Jay Daniels has a few things working for him. Number one, he has momentum. Uh, people are excited to see the LSU Tigers play. Uh, starting, like I said, tomorrow night against Florida State. Um, he has kind of the storyline transferring in um, last year. It was very Joe Burrow-esque. People forget that was Joe Burrow's second year at LSU Knights first because uh, he transferred in, kind of had a rough-ish uh, first year in, and then exploded in 2019. Um, Jane Daniels kind of feeling the same thing. Solid uh, first year, looking to explode in year two. Um He's got the dual threat ability. Shadur Sand is going to get all his yards in the air. Uh, every single one of them is going to be in the air, pretty much. Uh, Caleb Williams is pretty much going to be in the air as well. Jaden Daniels is going to be those total yard guys. He may go 300-150 one game, 300-125, 400-75 in terms of 400 passing and 75 rushing. You know, he's going to have the advantage of being able to be a dual threat, uh, throwing and uh, running the ball. So my hot take is that Jaden Daniels of LSU will become the third um, LSU Heisman winner behind Billy Cannon and Joe Burrow. And he brings one uh, home to Baton Rouge along with um, like I said, an 11-win season and a hell of a bowl game, if not a playoff appearance. But that is all I have for today. Shorter show, uh, especially considering that we hadn't talked to you guys in a while. Um, looking to do a midweek show. Uh, potentially somewhere around Thursday. It may even come in, may come in even earlier. Um, but you guys enjoy your Labor Day weekend. We're getting back into the swing of things. The NFL is back. Um, so we're going to get back into the swing of things every single week. You can expect to hear my voice from here through the end of the year. Um, and, of course, Justin Time Sports will be on and popping, as always, on my social media, making sure you guys are as formed as quickly as possible. That is all I have for today. Uh, This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out, and enjoy your Labor Day weekend.